Are you sick and tired of the financial bondage that's been holding you back? Are you ready to take charge of your finances to cut your mortgage payment in half while reducing your taxes significantly? If yes, then this podcast is for you. Fiscal Fitness and Freedom can pay off the national debt in less than 10 years. So from humble beginnings of just about $500, Scott built a billion-dollar mortgage company. So here's your host, Scott Smith. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. I'm here with Scott Smith. How are you, Scott? Good, good. We recorded an episode about um, some questions that came in from our listeners, and you did a great job explaining um, some of the stuff, but it kind of just gave me a couple more questions. And if you are just hopping on and did not listen to the previous episode, we were talking about speculating on whether or not there would be more rate hikes this year. And Scott, you mentioned that nobody knows. I think even just the Fed is trying to figure that out now. And the more we talked about it, you explained how these rate hikes are supposed to curb inflation and what those interest rates do. And when we hit the part about who's actually benefiting from these interest rates, it kind of has just stunned me and I'm still having a hard time understanding. Yeah, you could see you going through the same sort of internal realization that I did years ago as to what's the impact of interest on, you know, most of the citizens in our country and how much it hurts them. And so who's the beneficiary here, you know? Right. Yeah, I thought, I think in my mind, it was just like, okay, the Fed, that's the government. They're raising these interest rates. More money needs to go for something in my mind that was just like a blank space. (laughs) And then it's like, and we all benefit. But now I'm realizing when you explained it, it's the banks who are getting, who are charging the interest ultimately, right? Like if I go and get a mortgage rate, I go to the bank, they tell me these rates are higher. I'm paying the bank more. It's not even the person selling the house that's getting the money of the extra stuff. It's me just giving banks more money, but the banks aren't giving me more money. So how is this helping my inflation or the economy? That's right. It's... The and that's where I go back to interest charging interest is itself inflationary. Here's one way to look at it when rates are more normal, now it's worse than this. But when rates are lower over the course of your mortgage, half the money has gone to pay for the house and half the money has gone to the bank. So you buy a house for with a $300,000 mortgage, you end up paying $600,000. And so oh my God. pay for your house twice. It's like the builder builds this house and you go pay him to build the house. And then you pay the bank the same amount of money to help facilitate you buying the house. It's an absurd situation. And it's one we've inherited. It's developed over time. Um, I write a lot about the history and where it comes from. But going forward into the future, we need to have what I call banking 2.0, which means no more interest is charged for loans. And we can do that in our modern economy. We could not have done that in a gold-based economy or in the past. But when you're using fiat currency, 
when a society is creating its own money, which our society creates dollars, you know, we do that through congressional acts and giving the Fed the, you know, authority to do that. But once you've moved into that mode, there is no reason to charge a society to charge for the money that it has created. Right. That's, that's absurd. And, and that's why the monetary economy, so the monetary economy is the move, is the buying and selling of financial assets. It's the creation of different forms of money, all of that. And it's as opposed to the real economy, the material economy, which is the production of goods and services. So our standard of living is set by technology and our ability to produce these goods and services. And most people's jobs are tied to that. The monetary economy is 350 times bigger than the material economy in terms of Every time you throw that number out, it shocks me. <laughs> like there's no way it could be that much, but I know it is. It should bowl you over. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's like the most egregious aspect of our economy today. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. And so, I mean, I remember when I first started researching it and just real and working on Wall Street and realizing there's two economies here. And I remember, I clearly remember this thought going through my head like, oh my gosh, what if this whole monetary economy is, is as big as the material economy? Wouldn't that be nuts that we have these two economies running side by side and one is as big? I mean, I would never have dreamed, no, it's not as big as 350 times bigger. You know, it's just crazy. That's where all the money's going. That's where all the money moves. It's, it's just, it's egregious is the only way you can put it. The entire purpose of having money, the invention of money, the use of money, is to facilitate trade in the material economy. So, you know, a farmer can grow oats and he can buy nails. You know, I mean, money is meant to be a way to facilitate your labor can be translated into goods and services of any type. It's a, it's a brilliant invention. It's a great idea. But it's meant to grease the sp- Pat the skids for the material economy. It's it's meant to facilitate it to make the material economy run better. But it's gotten right. to the stage that it actually saps most of the strength out of the material economy. It's destructive. It holds us back. The irony that I see over the last century is that technology has brought us such an abundance, you know, we can fly through the air. And now, now they're working on jets that are going to be two to three times the speed of sound. And you can go from London to Beijing in three hours. You know, I mean, like technology is bringing about amazing things. If we're doing these Zoom calls, you could have never done anything like that at one time. So these leaps and bounds from technology and the material economy, our lives should be leaping forward in the same amount. And it's not, you know, it's more challenging for somebody getting out of school today to afford a house than it was for their parents, than it was for their parents. You know, there's, we're sliding behind. And the only reason that's occurring is because of the tax that the monetary economy imposes upon us in the material economy. And then if you want to 
try to understand the growing divide between the rich and the poor, it comes from that the most efficient way to make wealth today is in the monetary economy, not the material economy. And that's why I illustrate, like, during the pandemic, two years of the pandemic, we laid off countless tens of millions of people, shuttered lots of small businesses, and yet we minted a new billionaire globally every 26 hours. None of them were minted in the material economy. It was all the monetary, they're making the money in the monetary economy. You know, that's the uh, problem today. It just comes down to that simple fact. That's the economy. The problem to our economy. The just grows bigger. Yeah, it's getting bigger, faster and faster. Also, like I tell, illustrated with stories of two friends of mine in, in my book. One was um, one of the biggest chicken farmers grew, grew eggs in Colorado. Did well. It was a family business that had been around for generations, and they did well. And then he began hedging the cost of chicken feed in the options markets. And pretty quickly, <laughs> he discovered he made more money hedging than he did raising the chickens. So he sold his entire chicken farm, and now he earns his living through the commodities market. So you've lost somebody who was producing goods and services in our economy to the monetary economy, and they're and he's doing have, making a better living in the monetary economy than he did doing something real. Another friend of mine operated steel companies, metal companies around. And so, of course, he's going to hedge metals to help protect. Right. Well, guess what? Sure, same thing happens. Makes way more money hedging metals than employing all these people. <laughs> so, yeah, there's your problem. And that that's just like, Two little examples out there. Right. That and once they stop doing that, then the supply of it goes down and like it affects all right. sorts of other things right. because everything is impacted. Exactly. And yet we need eggs and we need steel, you know. <laughs> yeah, that will never stop. Right. So the monetary economy is a brain drain. I remember reading about started late eighties and nineties, Wall Street started hiring a lot of the PhDs in physics, because they're really good at the type of analysis that's necessary for the trading programs out there. But here you have some of our brightest in the country who are now employed for just the purposes of trading financial assets, which are synthetics. I mean, we, we create them out of thin air too, you know? And so yeah, that's not doing the economy any good. If <laughs> And that's the nature. <laughs> it's the nature of the beast. We have two economies and one's much bigger and one is where you make your wealth and the one is the power. So you think, think you could, here's another way to think of it. You think of money as a tail on a dog. Okay. <laughs> you know, and so you got this, you need a tail on the dog, but if it's a one pound dog with a 350 pound tail, <laughs> You got a dog that doesn't work very well. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Definition of the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. Your eyes were just opened when you, you know, we talked after our last episode and and you're saying, am I right about this? And I said, no, you, you just had the same little thing click through your head that clicked through my head, you know, back 20 years ago when I'm like, 
I got to research this because this ain't right. This is yeah. I am still just like, do people know about this? Like, I it's not you just don't think about it. It's just an assumed okay. The Fed said we got to do this, and you know we trust and we do it. And there, it's not. It's benefiting the banks exclusively, and. I just, I, I still am having a hard time processing this. <laughs> I'm glad you've done the research though. So now I don't have to spend the next 20 years feeling better about it. It's another figure, another number that will illustrate it is how many people are doing what types of jobs, you know? And so if you had a population of 3000, we have a little over 300 million. So let's say we created a town of just 3,000 people and it completely reflected our economy. One out of those 3,000 people would have a job where they were creating, trading um, financial assets, basically running the monetary economy. One out of 3,000. And yet wow. that one person's economy is 350 times bigger than the other, all the other people's economy. That's another way to look at it. There are a lot of ways you can skin a cat. A lot and of every ways. one of these ways freaks me out. I'm like, why? Every one, <laughs> every one of them should be. We should be freaked out. You know what the amazing part is? If there's if there's a miracle in the midst, it's that the economy works as well as it does, given the lopsided nature of the right system. That's that's the miracle. It truly has to be because we're just kind of figuring it out as we go, inventing money, inventing rules. I mean, I just recently learned too that things like credit scores just happened in like the 80s. Like this wasn't a thing before. And now it literally impacts every bit of my life. Like whether I can apply for this or, you know, like what kind of rates I'm going to get for that. It's just something that randomly came about 30, 40 years ago. And I, it's all of these things that I learn the more i learn the more i'm like wait a minute we really are just figuring it out as we go and it's not working whatever we're doing is not not great Uh, we make up the human world i mean we're up against the laws of physics in terms of production of goods and services and transportation but a lot of the rest of the economy we make up the monetary economy we totally make that up that's our own game we invent that game yeah, it's and um and we can modify that. Well, we should. <laughs> well, folks, I hope we you like this episode, and do send us your questions and do promote this podcast. Just send the link to your friends. It's the only way this information is going to really get out there. Because I would dare say that if you sat down with every member of Congress and every senator. I doubt that a single one of them knows the ratio between the monetary economy and the material economy. Because while that data is public, you can go to the website and see it yourself at the Bank for International Settlements. It's gathered by the Federal Reserve. It's a small group of economists within the Fed that actually gather this data. It is not broadly known in the only way this is going to get out there and we can make changes is if it becomes broadly known. So promote this podcast for your own sake. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you, Laura. Bye. So that's it for today's episode of Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. 
Head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value. Grand prize drawing for a private VIP mentoring session with Scott Smith himself. Be sure to head on over to fiscalfitnessandfreedom.com and pick up a copy of Scott's blueprint to discovering your own unique formula to personal success. And join us on the next episode.